0: I found myself reflecting earlier this week about how we deal with storms. Because storms are a regular feature of life. Uh, No year goes by without several named storms. So although they feel like an interruption, they are never far away. I can remember... Uh, I was speaking at our last church fairly early on in our time there. And I was was trying to do a good all-age talk and I was talking on Luke 5. And I was reflecting on the fact that Peter's just spent all night out fishing and caught nothing. And then this know-it-all carpenter, who's just started up as a rabbi, tells him to put out into deep water. And I imagined him thinking a little bit like a teacher with an an Ofsted inspector in the back of the uh, class who hasn't taught for years, frankly, but now is teaching others how to teach. And I dropped that into the talk. I shouldn't have dropped that into the talk. I got a lengthy letter through the, the letterbox that afternoon. I was feeling rather, I thought that went rather well, not in the view of Anne a member of our congregation, she wrote at considerable length to explain that her husband, Tom, only came to church once a year with her. And that was on the sad anniversary of the death of their son. And Tom was an Ofsted inspector. So she told me at considerable length where I'd gone wrong. It was one of those moments where a storm was broken out of a blue sky, and you just think, how where did that come from? I remember my brilliant curate Catherine uh, in our last church. Uh, She rarely, if ever, got anything wrong, and she never got anything wrong twice. But she got the name of the deceased wrong at a funeral. And she stuff happens. And she was heartbroken, not as heartbroken as the family was, uh, which they told me at considerable length. And there's only so many times you can apologize. Catherine was heartbroken. Um, But there's only so many times you can say sorry. That was a terrible storm that broke out of nowhere. And It took a long time for Catherine to stop kicking herself, if I'm really honest. Sometimes people are very quick to say that something is unforgivable. I could talk about a friend who I visited in Bedford Hospital. Um, Again, this storm came out of nowhere. Her first diagnosis was stage four ovarian cancer. Her husband was my colleague, our church coordinator, And suddenly the whole family and suddenly the whole church found itself in the middle of a storm, not least because her husband needed to focus on his wife and he couldn't cope. It's one of those moments in my job where the executive and the pastoral collide because I'm his line manager and I'm his pastor. And how do you hold those two things together when frankly chaos has erupted everywhere? You just have to weather it the best you can. Storms come, they're part of life. As Jesus says in Matthew seven, it's not a question of whether the storms will come. The question is how we will weather them. So how, how do we deal with storms? Because honestly, we get weathered by them. Honestly, they do affect us. Honestly, the last two and a half years have been incredibly difficult for lots of people. Astonishing statistic this week is that one in eight adults in our country now are on antidepressants. That's the the battering that our culture has suffered. So how? How do we deal with storms? The first thing is... Really, really obvious. Ask for God's help. Ask for God's help. The disciples nearly leave it too long. Not sure how long they'd waited to ask, but it's almost too long. The boat is on the verge of being swamped. That happens in the Sea of Galilee. It's only about 13 miles long at its longest and 8 miles wide at its widest. And it's a little bit like a bowl, it's surrounded by mountains and it's not that deep. So when storms come and they get stuck in that bowl, eventually you get waves coming at you from both directions at the same time. It's a matter of historical record that when those things happen, those storms come, they are incredibly destructive. So the disciples know when to panic and they know that now is the time to panic. But they haven't asked until the point where waves are breaking over the boat, seemingly from both directions. They only ask for help when it's too late, almost. Remember to ask for God's help, early and often to ask for God's help. The waves become steep. Eventually they're coming from different directions and they're breaking over the boat. The disciples know as fishermen that this is the moment to panic because they're being swamped. And finally they shake Jesus awake. Some commentators sometimes think that Jesus is kind of there with his eye open watching. What's? It's not, he's asleep. He's completely and utterly asleep. That is a measure of his repose the peace he enjoys in his Father's presence. He is utterly at peace. Now, I don't think the disciples at this moment are very respectful. They're basically saying to him, don't you care if we drown? Get bailing. Come on, pull out your finger and help. This is desperate. Remember to ask for God's help in the middle of storms, whatever the storms are that are close to you or around you at the moment, to ask for strength, to ask for peace, and to ask for God's intervention, to ask for it early and often, and to ask also for his endurance, as sometimes storms take time to subside. I was reflecting over text with a friend this morning, Emlyn, who I'm sure many of you will remember, And we were just talking about the impact that the pandemic has had. And somebody who has traveled all all over the world, Emily, is just reflecting that actually, the pandemic has left him unwilling to travel, that it's hard to face it. You know, we've had this situation where we were told the only safe places were our homes, and the only safe people were the people we lived with. And it's hard to get beyond that place how to get step into life in the world again. This storm is taking time to subside. So we need to pray for strength, we need to pray for peace, pray for God's intervention, and also to pray for the endurance that we need. Because I think this pandemic has marked us in lots of ways, and we're still going to take time to realise what those are. The second thing, if we need to ask for God's help, the second thing is to discern the character of the storm. Discern the character of the storm. That is not something that occurred to the disciples. They were just trying to weather it. It's often something that doesn't occur to us, to actually ask the Lord, what is going on? Jesus stands and rebukes the wind. And he tells the sea, quiet, be still. And the word he uses is the word muzzled. It's the word often used by Mark in accounts of demons being silenced. He silences the sea and the wind. He discerns somehow a demonic character of the threat and takes authority over it. You need to imagine it's almost like being in the in a swimming pool when the wave machine gets switched off. Immediately it starts to subside. It's never occurred to the disciples to ask whether there is more to the storm than the fact that it's a storm, more to the storm than just the vagaries of the weather. It's not always the case, of course. Nearly always the weather is just the weather. But when we face storms, particularly those that come out of nowhere and batter us, we have to discern the character of the storm. And if and when we discern spiritual warfare, we need to ask God to show us the nature of the threat. Sometimes God works through storms. I was reading a book by Eugene Peterson this morning, and he talks about judgment in the service of salvation. Sometimes God works through storms. Remember, Pentecost and Acts 2 is described as a storm. It comes and it disrupts. There is no greater pouring out of the Holy Spirit than at Pentecost. And yet God's people are reshaped by it, it, disturbed by it, and actually experience persecution as a consequence of it. So sometimes we have to ask the Lord, is this the enemy? Sometimes we have to ask, is this just the weather? And sometimes we have to ask the Lord, what are you doing in this? How are you shaking us? Shaking us out of our complacency, our lethargy. Shaking us out of maybe our unbelief that God can and that God wants to. Second, discern the character of the storm. And third, don't limit the help that God might give. Don't limit the help that God might give. They, They just wanted Jesus to get bailing, they wanted him to wake up and lend a hand. They had absolutely no expectation that God through Jesus might transform their situation. Their sole goal was survival, not transformation, was getting through, not breaking through. I think we often feel or fear that our peace is threatened by the storm around us. I had a, a bad day on Monday where three storms kind of broke at the same time. We often feel that our peace, our sense of hope, our sense of faith and walking with God is threatened by the storm. But it is Jesus's peace that threatens the storm. In one of the Gospels, it talks about a megalay storm being replaced by, Megale is a massive storm, being replaced by a massive calm. The peace of Jesus is spoken into the storm and dissipates it. And yet often, honestly often, we feel that our peace, our sense of God's presence, our sense of what God is doing is threatened when we experience the storms. Ephesians 3.20 talks about him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work in us. They just wanted Jesus to wake up and get bailing. They had no sense that he could do any more than that for them at that moment. And yet he speaks his peace into the storm. We need to ask God for help. Ask God early and often and long for his help. But let's not prescribe a solution. Because the disciples show us that what we hope for will be much less than what God might be able to do, what God might want to do. Remember, the help you receive could be much greater than you ask for. Might transform the situation. They wanted Jesus to get bailing to help them survive, but he silenced the storm. His agenda was not getting them through, but breaking through. Fourth, build on the rock. Build on the rock. Brothers and sisters, we cannot avoid storms. They will come. They will come sometimes because uh, we've walked into them, sometimes because they come out of a blue sky. Jesus says when, not if, the storms of life come. But he also says there's a different way that we can live through them. And what makes the difference is living the gospel. What makes the difference is putting his teaching into practice. Many of us hear the words of God Many hear the words of Jesus, but don't always step into putting them into practice. But that's what it means to build our lives on the rock. It's not to learn the gospel, it is to learn and put into practice the gospel. It is not to learn about forgiving one another, it is to put into practice forgiving one another. It is not to learn all the promises of God, but it is to stand on the promises of God. It's to pray them into into our lives and pray them into the world around us. And it's critically important to live the gospel, even when that's especially costly. We have to live the grace we teach. We have to put into practice the words of Jesus. And sometimes in those moments when we're experiencing storms, we, we have to ask humbly, Lord, where have I screwed up? Lord, where am I not hearing your prompting? Every day I pray, uh, pretty much every day I pray this. When I'm trying to listen to the Lord, I say, Lord, Holy Spirit, is there any specific situation, sin or attitude that is stopping me being able to hear you? And I pray that every day. Where is my conscience not sensitive to what you're wanting me to hear? Where are my, where frankly, are my fingers in my ears not wanting to hear? It's really challenged this week. The Lord showed me that there's something that I've been praying about, but I have not wanted to hear the answer. So Lord, have I screwed up? Have we screwed up? Have I offended you? In some way, Lord, is there a, a bitter root in our relationships as a community that we've allowed the enemy to exploit? And sometimes we just have to take our medicine. Like I had to go round and meet Anne and Tom, her husband, that afternoon, the Ofsted inspector, and hear their story. I did not know the story of the sudden death of their son. And it was one of those moments where you just have to take your medicine. You have to practice forgiveness. That means saying sorry. Sometimes that means offering forgiveness. Sometimes it means not keeping a record of wrongs. We're good at giving ourselves an out. We're good at finding ourselves uh, not um, responsible. Good at finding reasons why the clear teaching of Jesus doesn't apply in this particular circumstance. We have to lay those things before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, please come. Is there any specific situation, sin or attitude that's blocking my ability to hear you? Holy Spirit, convict me where I'm I'm not living up to what I profess. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes to convict, not to make you feel crap about yourself, but to enable you to experience grace afresh, to liberate you. Where are we hearing but not putting into practice the words of Jesus? Where are we leaving ourselves vulnerable because we're not building on the rock? When, not if, Jesus says, the storms of life. They come. They come without warning sometimes. And the challenge is, are we rooted on the rock Are we standing on the rock of ages? Are we held in his everlasting arms? Because when the storms of life come and we are held, then we will stand. We will stand and not be swept away. The last two and a half years have been storm after storm. Where have you been weathered by them? Where do you need to receive afresh God's presence, God's love? Where do you need a new infusion of faith? Dealing with storms means asking for God's help, early and often and long. Almost all the time that Jesus teaches about prayer, he teaches us to pester the heavenly father to go and bang on the door of a neighbor after dark, to ask, to seek, to knock, to say that our heavenly father is like a a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. So ask early and often and long. Don't wait, as the disciples did, until it's almost too late because the ways are crashing over the boat. Don't choose in that moment to be self-reliant, but choose to depend on the rock of ages. And don't limit how he might act. Ask for restoration. What does it look like? Uh, for us to rediscover a sense of purpose in life, rediscover a, a sense of hope in life, an ineradicable hope that we know that we are in God's story and we know how it will end. Even if, we've in that, uh, even if we're in the valley of the shadow of death where it's dark and we can't see over the horizon because we're crowded in by the hills around us, yet we can still have an ineradicable hope that we know how the story will end, that we know who is the author of the story, and we know that we will come through. Where do we maybe need an irrepressible faith, a faith that God is at work, that God wants to work in and through us? I think the last two and a half years has been a storm that has shaken the church. It's rattled the church. Maybe it's shaken some stuff free that actually we can, uh, we can learn to live in a new way. Maybe we can learn to be able to surf the wave rather than uh, experiencing it breaking over us over and over again. Maybe we can pray for that clarity of eternal purpose, that ineradicable hope, that irrepressible faith and joy. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you lives in me, lives in us. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That means that death is not the last word. That means that evil is not the last word. That means that despair is not the last word because beyond evil, death, and despair, we see resurrection. That is the story in which we are. That's the story that is being told in the whole of the the world. Let us hold on to Jesus and know him holding on to us. What needs to be rekindled in you? What needs to be restored? What needs to be renewed in you? Is it hope? Is it faith? Is it a passion for the gospel? The storm is not the end. The everlasting arms of the Father are the end. The storm is not the end. They break on the rock of ages. Ask for God's help early and long and often. Discern the character of the storm. It never occurred to the disciples even to ask the question, what's going on, Lord? if it's come from nowhere, if it's discouraging you and other brothers and sisters, if it's making you feel powerless, then discern the character of the storm facing you. Ask the Lord, show me what's going on here. Is this just human stuff? Is this just weather? Is it a demonic attack? Is, where has someone left a bitter root for the enemy to, to exploit? Where are you shaking me? In Acts 8, when the persecution came on the church, that was an amazing storm that struck the church. And what happened? The gospel spread wherever they went. Wherever they went. Would they have chosen to leave Jerusalem? No. As far as I can tell, the disciples went nowhere in five years. As much as five years. It might be less than that but the gospel was going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In five years, it hadn't gone beyond the city limits until that storm came. And then the gospel went wherever they went. It went to Samaria, to the heretics, the hated heretics, the Samaritans. It went to Ephesus. It went to Antioch. It went to Cyprus, and then it went to non-Jews. And all of that happened because the storm of persecution came. Where might God want to be shaping us, shaking us out of our complacency? And third, don't limit how God might respond. Don't limit what God's plans for you and through you might be. The answer of Jesus in this moment is of a completely different order and kind to the one that they hoped for, the one that they asked for. Their sole goal was survival, not transformation. It was getting through, not breaking through. Their peace was threatened by the storm. It was snuffed out by the storm. But Jesus' peace threatened the storm. Jesus' peace I once heard somebody saying, any storm you can sleep through because you are enfolded in God's peace. That's Jesus' experience. He is utterly at peace. And it's that that he speaks into the storm. Where might God be longing for you, challenging you, inviting you to pray, not just to get through, but to pray for breakthrough? Have a certain sense before the services that, The Lord wants to sink a well. The thing about sinking a well is it transforms all of the world around it. I'm told in Australia, uh, the farms are just too big to build fences. So what they do is they sink a water hole. Why? Because animals won't stray too far from where the water is. I think the Lord wants to sink a water hole here, create a well that will transform our lives, yes, but also transform the lives of those around us. To be a place where peace can be found. When people are battered by the storms of life, a place where peace can be found and can be lived out. And finally, build on the rock. We cannot avoid storms in life. They will come. Jesus says the only difference between the wise and foolish builder is how they've chosen to build. So we can choose to withstand them if we hear and put into practice the words of Jesus. So ask the Spirit to show you, where might that not be the case in my life, Lord? Where am I hearing and not putting into practice? What am I not living out might capture that prayer for yourself. Holy Spirit, show me where there is anything specific, any specific situation, sin, or attitude that's stopping me hearing you. Where might you, like I was a little bit, living with my fingers in my ears, not wanting the Lord to talk to me about something. Put into practice. Put into practice uh, the words of Jesus. So ask for God's help early and often and long, discern the character of the storm. Don't limit how God might respond. Step into it with irrepressible faith and hope that God will transform the situation and build on the rock, put into practice the words of Jesus. Amen.